the front door was open, the bay doors aren't even in yet, or like the garage. It's just a house under construction. The 911 operator keeps asking, so what is he doing wrong? What is he doing wrong? And that was my headline. Hello, I'm Rob Hoschel. You're listening to The Media Narrative. In this episode, we examine the shooting of an unarmed black man who was out for a jog on a Sunday afternoon in Glynn County, Georgia. Ahmad Arbery was 25 years old. On that day, February 23rd, 2020, when two men saw him running away from a house that was under construction and began chasing him in a pickup truck. I know that many of you have seen this video. It's very hard to watch. Armed men in a truck are pursuing a jogger who, we will learn, did nothing to deserve to be hunted as he was and was trying to just stay out of their way. But eventually, he ran toward his pursuers to defend himself. There was a struggle and he was shot and killed. The police killings this year of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others provide more brutal reminders of continuing violence against African Americans. Much has been said and written about those incidents and about the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Many of you probably read stories in the New York Times and other media. What I wanted to do with this episode is get the story from the perspective of the local reporter for the Brunswick News in Georgia, Larry Hobbs, who was on this story the day it happened long before we all saw that video and two and a half months before the first arrests were finally made. There are two timelines I was interested in, the order of actual events and the order in which this local police reporter learned about them. What I think you'll learn from listening to this is how complex the job of the local journalist is and that there remain many questions about how law enforcement officials handled this case. As Larry Hobbs explains, the immediate police report was very brief and slim on details. This one, I believe, came under a suspicious incident, and then it got right to the point that there was a, a man shot on the street in Satilla Shores, which, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, this is a little neighborhood, and somebody shot out in the middle of the street um, and bled out right there. The police, again, weren't saying much. I called the coroner, Mark New, and he gave me the identity of the young man, uh, which turned out to be Ahmad. Arbery, and that's all I had the first day. How did you see your mission following up on this story? What did you do? What were you trying to do? What were you hoping to learn? And what did you write about? I, I just hung on to the story. Uh, while I was a young man, and you know, it, we we knew the race of the man. We knew I, I knew that Satilla Shores was a predominantly white community, and it. it we don't mention race unless it becomes an issue. First of all, it was a, it was put out as a suspected burglary. And at this point, it could, it could have been a, a burglary incident, but why was this young man dead in the middle of a quiet neighborhood street shot at, what was it? Two in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, that was like, I've got to hold on to this. Not much information to begin with. So that's all Larry Hobbs had on the first day. Law enforcement officials, for some reason, weren't revealing a lot of what they knew. They already had the video on February 23rd that we didn't see until May 5th. 
The Glenn County District Attorney Jackie Johnson immediately recused herself because she had worked in the DA's office there with the father charged in this crime, Gregory McMichael. She watched the tape and then got in contact with another local DA, George Barnhill, so that he could see the tape. And she suggested that he take her place on the case, which he eventually did. Hobbs kept after the story, but like any community journalist, he had a lot on his plate. He was covering other stories. At the moment I'm recording this, Hobbs has written something like 40 to 50 stories on this killing. And then finally, around April 1st, 35 days after the shooting, the police released their more complete official report of what happened on Sunday, February 23rd. In his own words, Gregory McMichael said he saw a black male running down the road. Uh, I'm sorry, his words were hauling ass down the road. In his words, telling the police this, he ran into his house, told his son, essentially, grab your guns. Travis grabs a 12-gauge shotgun loaded with buckshot, we find out later. Greg grabs a 357, and they hop in a pickup truck and chase this young man. We don't know yet how much of a chase this was. We find out later that this went on for close to nine minutes, I think. And then that they said that he attacked violently Travis McMichael, although they mentioned that they pulled up to him and said they wanted to talk to him. They said they tried to block him. I'm going to interrupt Larry Hobbs there while he's explaining that early April police report. We'll return to it, but I want to add a few things here that law enforcement knew about at some point, but that weren't in this report. There was... For example, the 911 transcripts and the surveillance video showing Ahmad Arbery walking around a house that was under construction. By the way, there was also video of other folks walking around that house, just walking around pretty much doing nothing, like Arbery. Nothing, anyway, that would explain a person getting shot a few minutes later. Before the video came out, I had the story. Also, I got the 911 transcripts from this. And the telling thing there is the first guy who calls is saying, I'm reporting a, a man going into a house. He's like, okay. And it's like, is he, is he, so he's breaking in. It's like, no, it's open. And this was, this was a house under construction. We find out later. I've seen it. The, the front door was open. The bay doors aren't even in yet for like the garage. It's just like a, a house under construction. And so the 911 operator keeps asking, so what is he doing wrong? Even the, the 911 op- operator is asking, what is he doing wrong? And that was my headline. The man who owns that house had a video in the house. The house that's under construction. Surveillance video in there. He saw Ahmad come in there. He thinks Ahmad probably came in to get a drink of water because he had the water turned on in there. He doesn't think Ahmad was doing anything wrong in there. The autopsy indicated no drugs, nothing in him. You know, this was not, this was a guy, he loved a job. He was a healthy guy. So Ahmad Arbery is out for a jog. He leaves this construction site, maybe after a sip of water, The owner of the house said that nothing was stolen or damaged, and 
Ahmad Arbery starts jogging back down Satilla Drive. The McMichaels grab their guns and start chasing him. And this man, Roddy Bryan, lives a few houses down the road. He watches this develop and decides to lend a hand to the McMichaels, winds up driving a second truck and filming the whole thing on his phone. That's the video we all saw in early May. Roddy Bryan wasn't shooting this video like those concerned citizens in Minneapolis witnessing the murder of George Floyd. I'm not sure what he was hoping to achieve by shooting this video, but he did immediately hand it over to the local authorities. You might be wondering exactly how Roddy Bryan got himself involved with the McMichaels. That was another detail Larry Hobbs unearthed much later. He was in his yard doing some kind of work and he sees two guys in a pickup truck chasing uh, a black man, um, essentially, and says, do y'all need help? And as far as you, as far as you know, he didn't know those two, the McMichaels. They're neighbors. Yep. I don't think they were friends. There's no indication that they that they knew each other on a on a first name basis. Just jumped in, they jumped in his pickup truck, and the next thing you know, he's in this thing. So all this video and the 911 transcripts, law enforcement had all of that, and still no arrest. All Larry Hobbs had was that early April police report, which left out a lot of what they knew and rightly left Hobbs with a lot of questions in the wake of this killing. A block away from where he was suspected, they said that Ahmad Arbery uh, was suspected of burglarizing. We learned later that we don't know all this information yet. This is, for all we know, this was a burglary. But even if it was a burglary, even if he broke in there, why is he shot dead a block away from there. This is not, you know, stand your ground, which is a popular saying down here. This is, this is not, uh, you know, self-defense or even a citizen's arrest as far as, you know, why is this taking place this far away from what might've taken place? And so he shot him. He said twice. Later we find out he was shot three times. Travis McMichael shot him and he died right there. The report ends with Greg McMichael rolling him over to see if he is armed. That's the last word in the narrative. It big question. I call the police. Was he armed? We don't know all the things that we know that everybody knows about this now. Was he armed? No comment. I mean, the police report. I, I, I've got a pretty good relationship with these guys. So, but I mean, I just got to tell you, the police report normally says, oh, by the way, he did not have a gun. And uh, that's how the report ends, literally with blood on Greg McMichael's hands. Why was it there an arrest made that day? Larry Hobbs wasn't getting answers from the police. At the same time, he was leaving messages and waiting to hear from George Barnhill, the second DA on a case. By the way, Barnhill would eventually have to hand off the case to a third district attorney after it was found that his son, George Barnhill Jr., had also worked with Gregory McMichael. Barnhill did eventually call back Hobbs, but still left the reporter without an answer to the question of why no one had been charged. And then the first big New York Times story came out in late April. They had been down there reporting since March, Hobbs said, and 
That story is how we learn that D.A. Barnhill told the Times about something that he didn't tell Hobbs. That is, that Barnhill had written an official letter explaining that based on a citizen's arrest law, one that became law, mind you, during the Civil War, no charges were being filed against the McMichaels. That actually first came out in, in the Times, and my eyes kind of rolled because he was telling me, I'm, I'm looking at this. I want, I want to get to the bottom of this, and I'm, I'm very interested. I thought he was pursuing a case against these guys. I found out later that, and I'm, I was behind on this one, but uh, I find out later that he had told them either that afternoon or Monday, but after viewing the video that you and I have seen and everybody has seen, that this was self-defense in the act of a citizen's arrest. My response to that was the same as most everybody who's seen the video. The family of Ahmad Arbery and many others have called what we see in that video a lynching. The second DA, Barnhill, he didn't see it that way. He watched the same video and argued that the McMichaels were defending themselves lawfully under Georgia citizens' arrest law signed in 1863. The same state law was used many times in defense of lynchings in Georgia, where more than 400 occurred between the 1880s and 1930. This is, this is 1930s, 1940s. This is, this is the ugly South. This is not who we are. We're, we're in the 20, we're in the 21st century with the rest of y'all. I mean, that's what I want to say. Mm -hmm. This is not a reflection of us and it is an absolute tragedy. This is not, this community stood as one outraged. Local civic leaders and elected leaders all, you know, well, many of them stood as one. This was an outrage. We had, over the course of a few weekends, we had different demonstrations in front of the courthouse. Uh, sometimes several thousand, a few thousand, which is a lot of people for this little town, outside the courthouse, angry, rightfully so, mad, screaming, demanding justice. When the demonstration was over, people got in their cars and went home. They didn't overturn cars. There was no looting. There was no no arrest. Police made no arrest. And these were these were big demonstrations for this town. I, I think that reflects what kind of community this is. Mm -hmm. Of course, I can see where it could get a little bit more out of hand in larger cities, where, as it did nationwide. At the beginning of this conversation, you and I, you had mentioned, similarly to what you just said now, you said some very positive things about the community, how it's it's a very tight community and uh, people really enjoy living there and things uh, like this don't happen every day. Has this changed your view of the community at all, having witnessed and written about some of what's happened so far? Do you look at it any differently now? That's a tough question. Uh, I may not be as aware as I... I think I am of what some people in my community, <laughs> the members of the black community deal with on a daily basis or their perception of this community. And I, I need to make a, maybe a better effort to understand that, to, 
to make this a, a better community. I think a lot of people have come to that conclusion as well. The Roddy Bryan video of the killing came out on May 5th, and two days later, Gregory and Travis McMichael were arrested, 74 days after the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. Bryan was arrested in late May. Two weeks ago, in mid-July, all three of the accused pleaded not guilty to charges that included malice murder and felony murder. They were all denied bond and are in jail. It's not clear right now, especially in light of the pandemic, when the trial in the murder of Ahmaud Arbery will take place. One thing I'll mention now, though it's unrelated to the case, is that a few days after the killing in Satilla Shores, the chief of police of the Glynn County Police Department, John Powell, was charged. He was arrested in an alleged cover-up involving one of his narcotics officers having a relationship with an informant. So on top of everything else, they have this internal case and an acting chief of police down there. I asked Larry Hobbs about the challenge of following this story and gathering information from local law enforcement officials when there are so many questions about their work and conduct. There has been a call to release John Powell, but right now he is on paid administrative leave and pleading innocent to these charges. But very well in the near future, Jay Wiggins could be our new police chief down here. Where the leadership goes with this, Right now, yeah, it's it's tough. I'll be honest with you. Right now, it's tough getting information. Right. The chief of police, several officers have been charged in relation to that alleged cover-up. and the- There's also uh, the investigation into the district attorney, Jackie Johnson, and George Barnhill, as well as indications. I mean, GBIs, they don't come out and say anything until it's done, but indications are they're also doing an investigation into... Glen County Police Department and how they handled this that first day. The case of the murder of Ahmad Arbery is now in its fourth district attorney's office. I read just this week that lawyers for the accused killers are planning on using that ancient citizen's arrest law in their defense. Meanwhile, Georgia lawmakers are currently debating the very same law and whether they should repeal it. Before I said goodbye to Larry Hobbs, I asked about how he looks at the challenge of being a local reporter in 2020. The uh, Waycross paper where George Barnhill um, is the district attorney folded. It had been in operation since I want to say 1916 because I wrote the story about when it folded. It just, you know, financially collapsed, could not support itself anymore. So Waycross doesn't have a paper anymore. How much information could I have gotten working with them, trying to share information. What do y'all know about what's going on out there? But they didn't have a paper, it folded last fall. And that's what's going on in the community. And local newspapers are important. And I take a lot of pride in what I do to keep this community informed. The point that Larry Hobbs makes at the end of this is key. Local news is no joke, it is hard work. Consider the town of Waycross, Georgia. District Attorney George Barnhill is under investigation, and the newspaper that used to cover this area no longer exists. Without the work of Larry Hobbs and other local news reporters, as well as the national ones, we would know a lot less about critical issues, including how racism in this country continues to be a major problem. 
You'll find links to stories by Larry Hobbs and others in the show notes for this episode at themedianarrative.com. And while you're there, subscribe to the podcast and newsletter. The music you heard in this episode was composed by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob Hochschild. Thank you.